Romans chapter 14 and verse 17. One verse I want to read before you're seated. And, uh, and, and we'll go there. I'm Again, welcome every guest and family that's here. I see several. And uh, if you didn't get a chance to fill out one of our connection cards, would you do so at the end of our service? We'll have someone right there at that table. Probably Sister Betty Harding. She usually is there. But she'll have a, a card, a connection card. I'd love to get to know you. And hopefully by the end of this service, I can shake your hand and say hello. Uh, I, we do have one guest notification. And I welcome Sister Shauna Mitchell from Pennsylvania. Thank you for worshiping with us. We appreciate it. And we, uh, I love when I can look out and watch uh, not only those that attend this church, but I love watching our guests singing and worshiping, and I've watched that today. Thank you so much for your worship. We appreciate it. Paul wrote this in the book of Romans chapter 14. He said, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. I want to preach to you today. It's real simple. God doesn't owe you nothing. But he wants to give you everything. Would you just, uh, you can be seated if you'll help me preach a little bit. There was an article I read, and I don't, unfortunately I didn't remember it where, I didn't remember where I, I, I found it, but I've, I've written it down in my notes. But an article by a doctor by the name of Chris Thurman. He, he wrote this, he said that one of the most difficult attitudes that counselors face is that of entitlement. Entitlement is that attitude that says, excuse me, that says I am owed something. It's, it, it, it goes like this, watch this. Have you ever, I see this often. Um, I, I graduated from college. I'm a college graduate, therefore I deserve a high paying job. Well, some of that might be true. But if you majored in aboriginal art, it might be difficult for you to find a high-paying job in St. Louis, Missouri. Or how about this? I've been good to my friends, so they owe me their loyalty. Or, I'm a senior citizen. I deserve the younger people's respect. Now, I stand right here and tell you that I respect and honor every elder, but I've met some senior citizens that don't deserve any respect. I've met some young people that don't deserve any respect. I've met people. Or what about this? We weren't put on this earth to suffer. So life owes me a break. This culture that we live in fosters this notion of entitlement. Those of you who are around the, the 1970s, do you remember an entire ad campaign for McDonald's that said you deserve a break today? Anybody remember that? Kit Kat kind of copies that a little bit, but there you go. How about in 1980, another ad campaign? And I, to be honest, I have no idea what this is, but pamper yourself with, anybody remember? Calgon. In the 1990s, it was Mercedes-Benz that said, you owe it to yourself to buy a Mercedes-Benz. Oh, absolutely, why not? Make $30,000 a year, I'm going to go buy me an $80,000 car because I owe it to myself. What about Burger Kings? You can have it your way. Society continues to bombard us with this message that you are such a fantastic person. You are so incredible. You are so amazing. You are entitled to an equally fantastic way of living. 
And so whether we like it or not, human nature tends to carry around this sense that I am owed. We're entitled. We tend to focus on what we ought to have rather than what we need to give to others. And that entitlement becomes a one-way street, a one-way mindset. Sometimes that feeling of entitlement gets so strong that, that people don't meet our expectations. And because of that, we find ourselves bitter and resentful and angry. And relationships can and most often are destroyed by feelings of entitlement. And it goes on into the realm of the church. I'm amazed at how many people assume that God owes you something. That somehow you were born and you were God's gift to people. And Have you ever heard this? Maybe, maybe you're saying, okay, uh, uh, what does this entitlement mean? Have you ever heard this statement? Why did God do this to me? I got one person, two people, three. We're getting there. Let's try this again. It's Sunday morning. You don't have church tonight, and so uh, we need to make sure we're engaged today. So let me try that again. How many of you have ever heard the statement, or you've even said it, God, why did God do this to me? That is a statement of entitlement. Or have you ever had somebody, you don't have to raise your hand for this one, but have you ever had someone say, how come God doesn't bless me unconditionally? I've had preachers, I've heard preachers, I've watched, I've seen preachers say that God can't move unless we give him permission. That's a way of controlling God's will and blessing. Let me help you out and I'll pop your bubble right now. You can't make God do anything. You can't get God to do anything. His ways are higher than your ways. God doesn't owe you anything. I, I, it's, it's crazy how many people preach and teach and believe that you and I can control God's will. Let me show you how this would be. For you to say, I want to control God's will. I can get God to do something. It's the, it's the, it's the same thing as if you go to your refrigerator uh, today after church and there is a, a jug of milk. Now the refrigerator is God's will. You're playing God when you stand in front of the refrigerator. That jug of milk represents you, okay? For you to say I can make God do what I want or, or God's entitled would be the equivalent of you standing in front of your own refrigerator and looking at that jug of milk and asking that jug of milk, could I have permission to pour myself a glass of milk? You don't have that to, to give that that pitcher of milk or that jug of milk that give it that ability to give you permission is the same as you saying I will give God permission to do something in my life. It's crazy. Let me show you how much God doesn't owe you anything. Romans chapter one. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn there with me and follow along. I'll try to read it word for word, but sometimes I paraphrase a few things. Romans chapter 1 verse 21, it's amazing that this was written almost 2,000 years ago probably or very close to that, but yet it is so apt and maybe even more so today than even in Paul's time. Paul wrote this, he says, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. They weren't thankful. They became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish heart was darkened. This is mankind. And so they professed themselves to be wise and they became fools. 
They changed the glory of an uncorruptible God into an image made like of corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. You take a God that, that exists in the heavens, a God that's uncorruptible, unchangeable, and then all of a sudden you got to go make him look like a bird or you got to make him look like an animal or you got to make him look like a person and you create idols and it just doesn't make any sense. And so God gave them up to the uncleanliness that was the lust of their own hearts. God said their hearts got so far away from God, their lust burned that finally God said, do whatever you want to do and look where we are. They dishonored their own bodies between themselves. They changed the truth of God into a lie. They worshiped and they served the creature or they served the idol or they served themselves more than the creator who is blessed forever. And so for this cause, God said, fine, do what you want to do and gave them up to vile affections. The women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also men left the natural use of the woman and burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves a recompense of their error which was meet. It wasn't enough just to do what was natural but just do it outside the bonds of marriage. But they did what was unnatural. Homosexuality came and so because of that they received in themselves the recompense of error that was meet. They did not retain God to their knowledge and God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which were not convenient. Meaning that the things that their conscience should have said you ought not do, their conscience got so defiled and their mind became reprobate that their mind said what is bad is good and what is good is bad. They're filled with unrighteousness and fornication and wickedness and covetousness and maliciousness. They're full of envy and murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters. They invent new evil things. They're disobedient to parents. They don't understand. They're covenant breakers. No natural affection, implacable, or unmerciful. And knowing even that the judgment of God, that they which do these things are worthy of death, Somewhere deep down inside, they know what they're doing is wrong. We know what we're doing is going to cause us to end up in hell. But not only do we do the same, but we do what we have pleasure in those that do them. I could preach a whole message about that. That it's not enough just to do the sin, but you better be careful that you don't enjoy others' sin. I could take you to a whole thing on media and, and entertainment. That we could talk about that. When you start watching television shows that, that glorify the sin, you're falling in danger of that. You have pleasure of those that do them. But watch verse chapter 2 and verse 1. Trust me, I'm not going to stay negative forever. Give me a moment. Therefore, thou art inexcusable. I want you to look at your neighbor and I want you to tell him you are inexcusable. That's right. Turn around and tell the other neighbor. Say, you're inexcusable. What that means is this. I just listed a, a litany of sinful things. If you could take the worst of all of humanity, that's where we are. Read Ephesians chapter 2 and we'll read it in a minute. But if you just read chapter 2 of Ephesians and I'm just kind of pulling out some things. This is what the word of God tells you. That you and I, I was dead in my sin and trespasses. 
that I was walking on the on I was walking on the wrong path like my father Satan. Paul said, "You're a children. You're a child of disobedience." It says that we walk in our lusts and we're children of wrath. It says that we are separated from God. It says that we are sinners. It says that we are enemies. The word there is enmity. And that word enmity is such a, 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 a opposite feeling that, that the only way I can describe it is to be an enemy. You're at war with God. That's you and I. That's you and I. And unless anyone says, well, that's not me, that's somebody else, I would remind you what Paul said when, when he talked about it and he said, and such were some of you. Let me just tell you right now, this is, I'm almost done with the negative part, but God doesn't owe you anything. Now, I, I, I'm a pretty good person. I got my failures. But one thing I'm pretty good at is I don't hold grudges. I tend to get mad in the moment and get angry in the moment and it astute for a while, but I don't hold grudges. Some of you ain't like me. Some of you are really good at holding grudges. Don't look at anybody yet. But you know what? It's human nature. You hurt me, at the very least I'll ignore you, but what I want to do is hurt you back. I get wounded. What We always say this. Wounded people wound others. Hurt people hurt others. It only seems natural that a God in heaven who, who with his own hands created humanity and put you and I, so to speak, or at least the human race, put it on this earth and gave them perfection in the Garden of Eden. I mean, they didn't even have, uh, there wasn't anything like you and I face today. They could walk in that garden in perfection. They could walk in that garden in peace. They could walk in that garden with clean consciousnesses. But because of just Satan's little subtle way, sin entered. Man sinned. God said, I'm sorry, i got to separate you. I, I, can't, I can't have that same relationship. They're kicked out of the garden. The cherubim with a flaming sword is posted at the entrance. And Adam and Eve live. And you would think that Adam and Eve would say, you know what, we really messed that one up. Let's try to live for God. And it wasn't just one generation later and you got murder that's entered into the human race. God lets it go through and then finally he says, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to try again, so to speak. And I apologize for painting God in such human terms. But I'm going to try it all over again. Noah, grab whoever wants to go in the ark. I'm going to destroy the earth. I'm going to wipe it clean. You would think that Noah, when he came off the ark, and it's him and his family, and he has seen firsthand not only the destruction of God, but he has seen the grace of God. Oh, he, he built an altar and he prayed and the rainbow went across the heavens. But it wasn't very long before sin enters there too. And on throughout human's history. And you would think that God would just wash his hands. You would think that God would throw up his hands in disgust and say, y'all bunch of low down thieving ignorant people, I'm sick and tired of you. I don't owe you nothing. I'd like nothing better than just flick the earth out of orbit and let it fly off into space and just freeze to death and I'll start it all over. God doesn't owe you anything. 
but in his infinite grace, in ways that I cannot fathom, in an understanding that makes my head hurt, when I try to wrap my mind around a God, that when I have sinned and when I came short of the glory of God, that somewhere up in heaven God looks at an angel and says, I just can't stand to be away from the presence of my creation. And so the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, It says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. In the time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That was you. Those that had their conversation in the times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, who by your very nature were the children of wrath, but God who was rich in mercy, wherewith his great love he loved us, that even when we were dead in sins, he quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. He raised you up together. He made you and I to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that he in the ages to come would show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. For by grace you are saved through faith. It's not anything of yourselves, but it's the gift of God. It's not of works, lest you think you should boast and say, God owes me something. God don't owe you nothing. But God wants to give you Everything. Everything. And so I take you to Romans chapter 14, back to our text. And I want you to listen very carefully. Uh, Usually sermons have points. That was all my introduction. Now I have three points. I won't be long though, I promise. But I love these three points. For For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. I, I want to just tell you today, I'm going on record. I love this verse. I love what it says. We have righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Say, in the Holy Ghost. Not before the Holy Ghost, not simply because He loves you, but you will not have righteousness, you will not have peace, and you will not have joy if you don't have the Holy Ghost. It's in it. That righteousness. Let me give you my three points. Let me tell you what you have. Let me show you how complete this is. Righteousness. I don't know who originally came up with this, but I've heard this all my life. Righteousness, in a very layman's type term, it means to a right standing before God. It means that you can stand in the presence of God and your sins are not declared before you. It means you can stand in the presence of God, holy and pure, because you are in right standing. Somewhere your sins were washed away. Somewhere your record was expunged. Somewhere someone took your place and somebody died for your sins. In fact, I love the book of Romans. The book of Romans says this, that God imputed unto you righteousness. Another verse in the Bible says this, says that your righteousness, my righteousness, is as filthy rags. You remember old Adam and Eve? When they sinned and and shame and guilt instantly entered into the human race, the first thing they did is they looked at themselves and they were naked and they were ashamed. 
Now, I know in our modern society and understanding, nakedness should always be shameful, but in the beginning it was not so. There was no shame. Here's the thing. It was that in the beginning... That, that was not, there was no lust, there was no uh, evil thoughts, there was no pornographic thoughts. They were naked. They hadn't changed. What happened was the shame in the mind. What did they do? Instantly, when they realized they were ashamed, what they were saying is, oh my goodness, I'm unholy. I need to get right. I need to be righteous. And so they went and they grabbed them some leaves off a tree and they sewed themselves garments or aprons, the Bible says. And they said, ha, look at me. My righteousness, I've now clothed the shame. I've covered the guilt. I am righteous. Now the Bible doesn't explicitly say this, but I kind of believe that when, when, and the Bible does say that the Lord walks in the cool of the evening and he starts hollering, Adam, where are you? Now I don't know about you, but I've done enough pruning, I've done enough cutting down of trees to know that as soon as you separate that limb or that leaf from the life-giving sap in that tree, that leaf begins to wither and die. I've seen leaves, you got them katapa trees out back of the church and they got leaves that looks like elephant ears. I've seen those leaves come off and just in a matter of less than an hour it'll be all shriveled up and it'll be all droopy. Can you imagine that what they thought was righteousness, what they thought would have clothed their sin, now God is finding them and what used to cover has shrunk. What used to cover is withered because your righteousness is as of filthy rags. What you do can't help. But God imputes unto us righteousness. The best way for you and I to understand this is that you and I have a spiritual bank account and because of our sin and we were born in sin and shaping in iniquity, David said, because of that, our spiritual bank account is not just empty but overdrawn. Ain't not a chance. The, the worst I have ever seen in my life was when we, my wife and I were in Toledo, Ohio and uh, we didn't have a ton of money and, and it was coming up, it was two weeks before Christmas and, and we had a Christmas bonus we had gotten from the church and we had saved money to have Christmas and we had it all in there and some moron from Norway got a hold of our account and drained it dry. Nothing, not a, not a chance. And when I tell you he drained it dry, I don't know how they did it, but he drained it way dry, way deficient. Here's the problem. I got the next paycheck from, my, from the church where I was employed at. That paycheck wasn't enough to cover the, the, the deficit. So I could have taken my entire paycheck, put it in my bank account, and still not had any money. Does that make sense to everybody? Luckily, the bank covered it. And, and, and it all gets worked out, and, and I'm thankful. But that's how it is in our life. We are not only empty of righteousness, but we have a deficit of righteousness, which means every good work you could ever do, which means every time you feed the hungry, or you help some poor old lady across the street, or you come to church and clap your hands and give in the offering, and you say, look, I'm putting some good uh, 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 things, some good vibes, I'm, I'm putting something good in my account, you're still in deficit. What happened on the cross? Through the blood, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what happened was the Lord allowed there to be an opportunity, if you so choose through salvation, that God could put into your spiritual bank account righteousness. 
You in your own way could have never done it. But God says, I'll give you righteousness that you didn't earn and that you didn't deserve. I don't deserve, I don't have to give you anything, but I want to give you everything. And so the Bible says that because of that, you and I can have righteousness. Righteousness. That's what you get. A God that has watched mankind fail and falter and walk away. A God that has watched mankind do everything that Paul said in Romans chapter 1. Still says, I desire. And if you'll let me. If you'll repent. If you'll let me wash your sins away when you get baptized. Then I will fill you with my spirit. And I will put that righteousness in you. Why? Because the, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's what you get. He don't owe it to you, but he longs to give it to you. Not only that, but it says it's peace. It's peace with God. That's another Bible verse. I hope you remember it. Peace with God. Look in that Garden of Eden. I'm taking you back there. That Garden of Eden. Here's what happened when sin entered. It caused them to fear. It caused them to flee from God's presence. It caused them to have shame. This is what it did. It, it caused friction in their relationship. Um, and, and maybe, I mean, for halfway, halfway, Adam was right. Adam sinned too, don't, don't forget that, Adam sinned and he's responsible for his own life. But what happened as soon as Jesus comes? Adam said, she made me do it. Now you've got a relationship that's at odds with each other. And so it is that sin gives fear, sin gives shame, sin causes us to lie, sin causes us to throw each other under the bus and there's no peace and it's chaos and it's, there's no order. But in the Holy Ghost, God says, I will give you peace, I will give you peace with me. That's incredible to know that you and I can have peace with God. You ever been at odds with someone? Have you ever hurt someone? Have you ever done something wrong to someone and you don't want to look at them, you don't want to talk to them because you know that friction is there and so you just ignore each other and you go through life because you're, you don't want to, to, to face that fact? That's how you and I are when we are in sin. That's how we are with God. There's no peace. That's why people don't want to come to church because there's no peace with them and God. That's why they don't want to worship. That's why they don't want to pray. They're not at peace with God. But the Bible tells me that though he doesn't owe you anything, one of the things he wants to give you, he desires to give you is peace. Peace with God. But not only that, he wants to give you peace with your fellow man. Peace in your home. Peace in your family, peace in your friendships, peace in your relationship. Why? Because he's the prince of peace. He don't owe it to you. He ought to just let you and I live our lives and go to hell. But he says, no, I'd love to give you righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. He gives you righteousness. He gives you peace. And he gives you joy. Wednesday night we sang that old hymn, it's joy unspeakable and full of glory. I am living in a world right now, I see it everywhere I go. I see it as a pastor, I see it just as someone walking in the streets. I see it in my position as a police chaplain here in the city. We live in a world where joy is mightily lacking. 
Oh, sure, we might have a brief respite, but to say I have joy unspeakable, there's not a chance in this life that it would happen. But can I tell you today that what my Bible tells me is that while we don't deserve the joy, while we don't deserve the peace, while we don't deserve the righteousness, there is something God wants to give you and I. Not only does he want to give you a right standing with God, not only does he want to give you peace with God, but he wants to give you joy unspeakable. God wants to give you a hope for tomorrow. God wants to give you a reason to get out of bed and wake up. God wants to give you a reason to know that this day won't last forever. The Bible says weeping might endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. That future, my future is bright because God has given me joy. But can I just tell you, he doesn't pass up right now. Despite your circumstances, my present is joyous because I have him I have him if I have him I can go through the dark times in life if I have him I can go through the times of hurt and pain and anguish because I have him I even know that if I slip and falter I can repent and I can say Lord I, I messed up but I will not stay down I shall arise. My present is joyous. God don't owe you anything, but he wants to give you everything. Romans chapter 15 and verse 13 says this, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, and in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5 that it's the fruit of the Spirit that's love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance. It's why David could pen this incredible psalm that I've used often in my life. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runs over. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Really, David? Really? Hey, David, did, did, didn't, you, didn't you have an affair with a, with a lady? And, and didn't you have her husband killed to cover the affair? And Aren't there other sins you did? You numbered the people when God said don't do it? David, surely there ain't a chance that God is going to be with you, that God is going to give you peace. God is going to lead you beside still waters. There's no way he'll restore your soul or let you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. How is that? I think David would stand before you and say this. I of all people know that God doesn't owe me anything. But I've learned in my life God wants to give me everything. That's why David could pen that psalm. I believe it's Psalm 51. That repentant psalm that's so powerful. Because he said, Lord, I want the everything you can give me. Would you stand today in this place?
It's not entitlement. It's not because I, I, I think I'm all that in a bag of chips. No, it's because I'm a sinner saved by grace. That Lord, as we sung earlier, I stay amazed. I'm astounded that you would love a sinner such as I. I'm astounded that you would do all that you have done throughout eternity just for me. I know you don't owe me anything, Lord, but I am so thankful that I have everything I need. I wonder if we could lift our hands. I know you're here today and maybe you've got a grill you're ready to fire up and you've got some brats or some pork steaks you're ready to cook this weekend. But before you do that, would you take a moment in this service to remember the grace and the mercy of God. And if you don't have the Holy Ghost, if you've never repented of your sins, if you've never been baptized in the precious name of Jesus, the name that is above every name, if you've never done any of those things, then you're lacking in the righteousness, joy, and peace department. But this is the day that you can have everything through the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Joy unspeakable. Peace that goes beyond our wildest comprehension and righteousness from a holy God. As they begin to sing, I invite you to spend some time in His presence. I'd love for you to step out of your pew and maybe come down to the front and just lift your hands as a symbol of, Lord, I'm ready to be in your glory and your presence.